Okay, do you want to grab your Bibles and turn to uh, page 511, uh, to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, If you were with us last week, we started a new series uh, called I Am, the Attributes of God. And we were looking at Article 1 of the 39 Articles of the Anglican Church. It says this, There is but one living and true God, everlasting without body parts or passions, of infinite power, wisdom and goodness the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. Uh, Last week we looked at the one true living God. Uh, This week we're looking at the God of infinite power. What does it mean for God to be all-powerful or the omnipotent God? So I'm going to ask uh, Angus and Deb to bring us our readings, and then I'll explain God's word. So the first reading is on page 511, and it's Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, verses 9 to 31. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand, or with the breath of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills on a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, Or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom, then, will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to prevent such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman, to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, 
Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The second reading is on page 827. It's Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, in, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, thank you that in your kindness you continue to transform minds and our hearts and our wills. Thank you that you want us to be more like your son. Forgive us for our stubbornness and our hard-heartedness. So teach us now, please, by your spirit. You know what we need to know. And I pray that you would teach each one of us exactly what we need to know. In Jesus' name. Tonight we're looking at this topic called infinite power. The God of infinite power, the the, the technical term is God's omnipotence. Omni means all, potent means power. God is all-powerful. God has unlimited power. God's power cannot be increased and God's power can't be diminished. There's a story of of a young boy who's just been to Sunday school. He's going home on the train. He's got his Sunday school worksheet on his lap. And on his lap, he's got the memory verse. It says this, uh, with God, all things are possible, uh, Matthew 19. Uh, with God, all things are possible. There's an old man sitting next to him, and the old man turns to the young boy and says, uh, son, I'll give you an apple if you can tell me one thing that God can do. And quick as a flash, the boy turns to the old man and says, uh, I'll give you a whole bag of apples. If you can tell me one thing that God can't do, 
Because that's what that verse means. With God, all things are possible. There is nothing that our God cannot do. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And so uh, philosophers have grappled with this concept. Now, God can do anything. And so they come up with all these contrary things like, uh, can God create a, a rock that is so big that he can't lift it? If I said yes, then... There's something you can't do, you can't lift it. If I say no, there's something you can't do, you can't create. And those kind of questions are mildly interesting. But when it comes to God being all-powerful, I ask more personal questions. Questions like, uh, if God is all-powerful, then why is there suffering in the world? If God is all-powerful, then why is there still evil in this world? If God is all-powerful, then why didn't he stop the tsunami that killed 200,000 people a few years ago? If God is really all-powerful, why did he not stop that drunk driver getting to the car that night? Let's make it even more personal. If God is, is all-powerful, why did my brother get cancer as a child? If God is all-powerful, why did my dad die when I was 20? If God is all-powerful, why, 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 why? Because if you believe in a God who has infinite, unlimited power, you've got to ask the question, why? Why does he allow things to happen? Why doesn't he stop it? Because I reckon most Christians say, yeah, God is powerful. Yeah, God is strong. God is mighty. But the question is that word, all. Does he really have all power and unlimited power? I don't care what the philosophers grapple with. I wanted the real answers to real-life questions. Harold Kushner was a guy who wrote a book, a bestseller. It's called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he's grappling with that question. Why do good, godly people suffer in life? What many people don't realize is that Harold himself had a, a son who was tragically killed. He died. And as Harold grappled with his God and tried to understand God's character, the only conclusion that he he could come up with was that God didn't have the power to stop it from happening. Is that your God? Is that the God that you worship in 2010? A God who has power, but his power is limited. Our brains are going to be stretched tonight as we grapple with what it means for God to be omnipotent and all-powerful. What does it mean for God to be powerful? Let's define it. How do you use that word power? Think about how you use the word power. You say, oh, Kevin Rudd had power. He has the authority because he's the prime minister. You might say that the the guy at the gym had power to lift the weights. You know, he had the strength, the, the might, the brute force. You might say he had the power to solve the problem. He had the ability, he had the capacity to solve the problem. That's how we use the word power, isn't it? Authority, strength, and ability. So what does it mean for God to have power? Here's some definitions. God has the authority... And the ability to do whatever he decides to do. 
God has the authority and the ability to do whatever he decides to do. Or put it another way, God is able to do whatever he wills in the way in which he wills it. There's nothing that our God cannot do. Or the most simple definition, God is able to do anything he chooses to do. That's what it means for God to have all power. He has the ability and the strength and the authority to do whatever he chooses to do. Jim, in the Bible, there's um, a couple called Abraham and Sarah. And God has promised Abraham that through him a great nation is going to come. But this couple are in their 70s, 80s, 90s. And she's barren. And so when Sarah hears that promise, Sarah laughs. And in Genesis 18, verse 14, God says to Sarah, Why are you laughing? Why do you say, will I really have a child now I'm old? And then, she, then he says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a good question. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything beyond his ability? Same in Jeremiah 32, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you remember when uh, the angel comes to the Virgin Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child? And Mary says, how can that be? What does the angel say to Mary? Do you remember Luke chapter 1? He says, nothing is impossible with God. Uh, Do you remember the disciples? Jesus says, it's harder for a rich man to... So it's harder for a camel to go go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples say, well, who can be saved? And Jesus says what? He says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Have you got it? God is able, has the ability and the power and the strength and the authority to do whatever He chooses. And so if God so chooses, of course he can give a child to a couple in their 70s. If God so chooses, of course he can bring his son into into a world through a virgin called Mary. If God so chooses, he has the power to, to part the Red Sea. If God so chooses, he has the power to destroy cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. If God so chooses, he, he has the power to do anything. Who are we to say that God can't do things? He has the power, the ability, the strength, the authority to do whatever he chooses. And if you've grasped that about God, it will change the way that you read the word of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I come across bits of scriptures and my mind is puzzling. I'm going, that sounds really tough. Or that sounds implausible. Yeah, with man that is implausible. But with God, nothing's impossible. Although it's not entirely accurate to say... God can do all things. What are some things that God can't do? God can't do illogical things, like contradictory things. He can't make 2 plus 2 equals 5. He can't make a square circle. He can't make a four-corner triangle. But more than that, God can't do immoral things. God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1. God cannot sin. God cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
And do you know I'm really thankful that God can't do those things? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, that God can't lie or sin or deny himself? God can't do anything inconsistent with his character as revealed in Scripture. But with God, all things are possible. When you think about God being all-powerful, please don't limit or restrict your view of God's power just to what he has done or what you can see around you. If God chose, he could have created billions more stars at just another word. If God chose to, he could have created millions more animals and fish and birds and creatures if he wanted to. God could have created different planets and different earths and different sexes. He could have done whatever he chose to do. He had the power to do that. In in Psalm 115, he says this, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Have you got it? I'm being laborious, I know. God has the power to rid this world of evil right now. God has the power to, uh, to eradicate every health issue in the world, uh, HIV, AIDS, cancer, right now. Uh, God has the power to clothe and to house and to feed every man and woman, boy and child, boy and girl living on this earth right now. God had the power uh, to prevent my brother having cancer. God has the power to keep my dad alive. God has the power uh, to cause uh, you to, to get a job. God has the power to lift you from your depression. God has the power to do whatever you want him to do. But for some holy, wise reason, determined in all eternity, he may choose not to. He doesn't promise to. But just because God doesn't do it doesn't mean he doesn't have the power to do it. That's what it means for God to be all-powerful. The ability, the strength, the authority to do whatever he chooses. So how do you know? How does God demonstrate that he's powerful? Think about that question. How does God display his power? The obvious thing is creation, isn't it? As you look at creation, you're supposed to say, wow, my God's powerful. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 says this, God made the earth by his power. Uh, Jeremiah 27, uh, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. Or Romans 1 verse 20, a scary verse. Listen carefully. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without any excuse. What God is saying there is that when you look at creation, you're supposed to stop and say there must be an all-powerful God who lies behind it. And so there's not one man, woman, or child on this earth who's without excuse. We can't say I didn't know God was powerful because God will say, look at my world. And you know, God gives a demonstration of his power every day. 
every morning when the sun rises, that's a demonstration of God's power. Uh, a sun which is 100,000 kilometers thick and a million degrees centigrade, and it rises every morning, it sets every night, and you're supposed to say, wow, God is powerful. And he gives a, a puppet display of his power every night as the stars come out. You're supposed to say, wow, my God is powerful. You see God's power in, in, in creation. Where else do you see God's power? Who has the power to heal the sick? Who has the power to forgive sins? Who had the power to calm a storm? Who had the power to, to raise a man from the dead? Who? Jesus. In Jesus you have a display of God's power. Where in Jesus do you see the most glorious display of God's power? The empty tomb. Because the tomb was empty. That's what the Bible says, Romans 1, verse 4. Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Who else could defeat death? Who else could walk from that tomb after nails had been through his wrists and his feet with a spear through his sides? Who could do that? An all-powerful God who came to the earth in the person of his son, Jesus. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You see God's power in creation. You see God's power in Jesus. Where else do you see God's power? Every time you look in the mirror, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, every time you look in the mirror, you see a living, walking, talking, breathing visible demonstration that your God is all-powerful. Because who else could take a wretched, miserable sinner and take them out of the darkness and bring them to the light? Who could take you from death to life? You can't do it. Your religious works can't do it. Your church attendance can't do it. Your upbringing can't do it. But Christ can do that for you by his grace. See, in salvation, in your salvation... And in my salvation, we see a visible demonstration that God really is all-powerful. Romans 1 puts it the best. Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power, the dynamite of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's extraordinary, isn't it? That a, that a apparently foolish, weak message of a man crucified is God's chosen means to demonstrate his power. Just two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, 2,000 people were sitting under the bridge singing carols. Why did we choose to have the Bible read? Why did we choose to preach on that night? Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to save. Not singing carols, but the proclaimed word of God. It might have sounded weak, but God uses weak people with a powerful message called a man crucified named Jesus to win souls for himself. And if God so chooses, every man, woman and child under that bridge could have been saved and they could walk through this door right now because God has the power to do that. 
as you head into 2010. If you're regularly and daily saying no to sin, that's God's power at work in you. If you're throwing off the sin that hinders, that's God's power at work in you by his spirit. If you're selflessly uh, serving and longing to preach Christ, that's God's power at work in you. See, you and I are the demonstration of God's power. And every time you walk into church and see someone who's a Christian, you say, wow, God really is powerful. So what does that mean for us? If you've grasped that God's power is not limited by anybody or anything, let me give you two words to finish tonight. First word is this. Reverence. Revere him as the Almighty. Job 37 says it the best. The all-powerful one, the almighty, is beyond our reach and exalted in power. And therefore men revere him, or they respect him, or they fear him, they honor him, they worship him as their God. If you've grasped that God is omnipotent, it makes you feel about this big. And it makes God feel this big. And the right response is not to be proud, but just humble yourself before him. I don't know whether you saw the fireworks on New Year's Eve. I had this amazing view of the Harbour Bridge and saw all the fireworks, and they were utterly, utterly spectacular. By the time I got home, my robe was closed, and I foolishly couldn't get back in. It was like 3 a.m. in the morning, and turned the TV, and there was this, there was this news summary of the, of the fireworks. And it was an amazing camera angle. You might have seen it. It started off with the camera facing the bridge, and you saw this spectacle, this spectacle, this the power and the might of these fireworks. It was glorious. And then the, the camera just went higher and higher and higher, obviously in a helicopter. And it got higher and higher and higher until the bridge just appeared smaller and smaller and smaller, until these fireworks just appeared like this, this red blip on this black screen. And when you've understood that God is all-powerful and not you, that any power and any authority and any might and any strength that you have got should be a little blip on this big black screen called my almighty powerful God. But our temptation is just to be proud and think that we have power. Deuteronomy 18, 8, sorry, says it the best. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, it's he who gives you the ability or the power to produce wealth. If you're revering him as the all-powerful one, then it will strip you of pride. And it will make you more prayerful. Because as you plan for 2010, all these things that you are going to do in your strength and your might and your power... You just revere him and say, no, actually, God may choose not to give me that in 2010. And God may choose not to give me my health and not to give you my home and not to give me my finances. He may choose all those things, but I'm still going to revere him and trust him as my God. Revere him. And the second word for you tonight is this. Refuge. If God really is all-powerful, 
Where else would you run to for refuge? If God is omnipotent, why would you run to family or friends or fitness or food or counselors or whatever it is for refuge? Sure, there is some help. But your ultimate security must be found in the all-powerful God. The fact that unending and infinite protection and security comes from him, it's got to drive you to him to find your shelter in him. There's a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary and her husband was called Jim and her husband was martyred as a missionary. And the Christian world saw this as a terrible tragedy. And Elizabeth read a book. And she gave this book an incredible title. No bitterness. No sense of lacking trust in God. The book is called this. In the Shadow of the Almighty, the All-Powerful. It's words taken from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God in whom I trust. And what she's saying there is that that God's omnipotence, it doesn't promise you protection from trials and hardships. It doesn't promise you protection from suffering. It doesn't promise you protection even from death. It does promise you protection from God's eternal wrath. And it does promise you shelter and comfort and hope in the midst of those trials. Because God's all-powerful hand watches over you. Now is that the God that you're going to run to? I don't know what's going to happen in 2010. And my guess is that many of us will go through really good times and really tough times. And you've got a daily choice to make. Where are you going to run to for your refuge? And I hope you're going to say, the all-powerful Omnipotent God. You may have heard of a guy called Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler is a pastor of a church called Village Church in the US. It's grown from a few people to thousands and thousands of people. God has used that man to win thousands of people for Christ and to grow many disciples of Christ. Back in August this year, he was here in Sydney. He was preaching up at Katoomba, up at the Engage Conference. He's an extraordinary preacher. He's 35 years old. Married with three kids. And today he's he's in a hospital bed dying of a brain tumour. It's malignant. He's undergoing chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And I asked why. Why, God, would you do that? I've been following Matt Chandler on Twitter over the last couple of months. And his tweets every day have been extraordinary. He keeps saying things like, God is good. God is faithful. My God is able to do anything. In Christ, I have my refuge. God is my almighty. 
Uh, he's produced videos to his church just showing that his trust and his security and his refuge is in Christ because with God, all things are possible. It's possible that God could cure him and God could heal him, but it's possible that he'll choose not to. But whether he lives or whether he dies, his security, his refuge, his hope is where? Is in Christ. And God is still using him in his sickness to win disciples for Christ. And I pray that you in 2010 would know that God can do anything. With God all things are possible. And that God might use you to win many people for Christ. Because they'll see that your refuge and your reverence is for the almighty God. Let me pray. These are words from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. Amen.